All right, we are going to move into the scripture for today. So we're reading out of Psalm 145. So if you need to grab a Bible, since many of you are probably using your phone for Zoom, grab like a real physical Bible where you can feel the pages turn. It's pretty incredible. It's a great experience. Psalm 145, again, this is written by David. What we're going to do is I'm going to read the whole psalm. Don't worry, it doesn't take that long. And then we're going to break it down as we have a discussion uh, and break down the truths that it reveals to us about who God is, his nature, and his character. So I'm going to read it first, we'll pray, and then we'll discuss. And so David, in Psalm 145, wrote this. He says, I exalt you, my God, the King, and bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great in faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. All you have made will thank you, Lord. The faithful will bless you. They will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. All eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and faithful in all his acts. The Lord is near all who call out to him, all who call out to him with integrity. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He hears their cry for help and saves them. The Lord guards all those who love him, but he destroys all the wicked. My mouth will declare the Lord's praise. Let every living thing bless his holy name forever and ever. Amen. This is God's word. Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts, our ears, our minds to receive your word this morning. God, that we would rest in these words, that we would rest in these truths about you, about who you are, and what that means for us in this world. God, that we would be replenished, our souls would be restored, that we would be filled by your truth and by your spirit, that we would be empowered by you, that we would be sent out, God, not in our depleted strength, but in the good news that we have in your word here and in the power of your spirit. We ask all these things in your son, Jesus' name. Amen. This text... Psalm 145 is 
full of the character of God, the nature of God, full of truth of who he is in this world and what that means for human beings. And for us, when we read this, if we are filled by the spirit, hopefully what it does is it brings nourishment, but it also brings uh, a type of rest and a satisfaction to our souls, a restoring to us. And I know sometimes just listening, especially through a screen to it being read in one sitting, maybe doesn't do that. And so what we're going to do is we're going to read different sections now more, more closely, more carefully, and we're going to discuss them. And we're going to sit and reflect and talk about together what those truths actually mean for us, even here and today in our world now. And the four truths that we find in this, they're truths that Anthony was talking about with our kids this morning on the 930 Zoom. They're truths that many of you have on your magnets at home. They're what we at Missio often call the four G's or the, the full name of it, the actual name is the four eternal truths who God is. And scripture tells us that the truth will set us free. And so the goal of these truths, as we remember them, is that they actually set us free from a lie that we are believing. And if we're set free from a lie that we are believing, we can turn, that's repent. We could turn a complete 180 from it and live fully in the truth. And that truth brings us freedom. It brings us rest. It brings us assurance. It brings us hope. It brings us joy. It brings us life. And so I love this particular psalm because it shows us these four G's uh, aren't just something somebody came up with one time for alliteration's sake or because, hey, this is a nice little catchy thing that we can, uh, a slogan we can get our church to remember or anything like that. But it's actually real truths that we find in scripture about who God is. And they do have something to say about the way we live our life now. And so I want to read right now, uh, we'll go to Psalm 145, verses 3 through 6. I'm going to scoot over so you can see this a little better. We're going to reread a portion of this and reflect on the truth from it. The Lord is great and is highly praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and will proclaim your mighty acts. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty and your wondrous works. They will, pro- they will proclaim the power of your awe-inspiring acts, and I will declare your greatness. They will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. All right, so a truth that we get from that passage of Scripture is that God is great. And when we say that God is great we got to remind ourselves what that word actually means. I had a friend that I would go travel around, speak at schools with, and we're both foodies. And so our number one favorite thing to do was to find new places to eat that were local to that spot we traveled at. And I would always be like, man, this taco is good. And he would always correct me, be like, no, it's great. Uh, But the reality is I had to like be a, a grammar Nazi at one point, be like, actually great is not like the next step of good. All right. Like, you have good, and which we'll talk about later what that means, but great can be like a great evil swept over the land, right? So that's not good. Uh, great could be like, man, the, the, the power of that addiction was too great for me to bear, to overcome. So great is not just a next step of good. Greatness is power. Greatness is majesty. Greatness is something big. It's something that 
can overcome you, that when you look at the Grand Canyon and you see the greatness of the depths of that canyon, you're in awe. When you look out at the ocean and you can't see where it ends, you're in awe. There's something great and big and powerful about that. You know those waves can just sweep you away. But if we remember that God is great and that he's greater than all other things, then that should actually bring us a sense of freedom. And so what we say is that God is great, so we don't have to be in control. And what we mean by that is there are so many things in life that seem greater than we are that we feel totally out of control with. This this pandemic could be a great example of that. But there's so many other things that just on your day-to-day life that you encounter where you feel like you're overwhelmed by and the greatness of it is too much to bear and we feel out of control. And sometimes, if you're like me at all, we often are trying to fight for control or trying to convince ourselves we're in control and fool ourselves in that way. But if we remember that God is in control and that we are his, that frees us up to remember we don't have to be in control. And so what I'd love to do is have a little dialogue right now. I have two questions that can kind of spark this conversation. But if you feel like there's just something else the Spirit's stirring in you around this conversation, this truth of God being great, then that's okay. It's, it's a free-for-all in that sense. But to kind of uh, give us some legs to stand on here. First question is, how do you respond when life feels out of control? So what do you tend to go to? What do you tend to do to try to like regain control in a sense? How do you respond when life feels out of control? Go ahead and unmute yourselves and let's talk about that. I clean because it's something I know I can do. And uh, it's something that I know how long it takes and I can get it done. And Normally, when I feel like the house is crazy, I feel like I can't do take care of any other situation. So I just like tornado clean. When you feel out of control, you are more than welcome to come over to our house. Uh, yeah, I can totally relate to that because like you can see the effect of it. You can at least see the accomplishment, right? So like I, one of the reasons I love roasting coffee or like doing a house project as I can see the finished product. And I can go like, yeah, I did that. I accomplished it. Where like the, the work of pastoring is in relationship and people and you don't really see, first of all, it's a work of the spirit. It's not my work anyway, but you don't even see the fruit of it sometimes for like 10, 20 years. And I haven't been in it that long. So I haven't seen any of it yet. So <laughs> that's a joke. I've seen lots of fruit from you guys. But sometimes I, I can feel out of control with that. Like I feel like I have no control and what I'm doing is what I'm doing making a difference at all. But I can see that that green coffee just turned brown. So I can kind of relate to the cleaning thing. Anyone else? For me, I like write it all down. And like this obviously comes to no surprise as most of you, but like try to like write it all down and like make a plan or make a schedule or make something like a checklist if I feel out of control. Because usually if I feel out of control, it's related to like feeling like I have too many things going on and going through my head at once. So then I feel like if I can write it all down and prioritize it, then maybe I can accomplish everything. And sometimes my, you know, my plans don't exactly match reality. What are situations that make you guys feel out of control? Having five kids feels out of control sometimes. 
Um, I think that when things feel out of control and I can relate a little bit with you, Chris, and that, um, vocationally, um, sometimes I don't like, it takes a while before, like I can see the fruit of what God's doing in people's lives. And, um, and then sometimes I'm like, am I doing this good enough? Can I like, am I doing this right? But I think the way that I probably feel out of control is like, um, I think just when, like when there's just a lot going on or like when the kids are rambunctious or when I have a lot on my plate, um, sometimes things feel out of control relationally when they're not going the way I would like them to be. But my, I think my response to that is sometimes I start to withdraw. And so I start to disconnect from people. Um, I find that I'm on my phone a lot more. or I'm just kind of spacing out in my own world. And, um, and then I need my house to be a lot cleaner. And so like I'll start organizing cabinets and I'll start these little projects because I do think there is something to be said about feeling like you're accomplishing and when things like feel globally out of control we try to take control of these little areas like organizing our pantry or turning coffee beans from green to black yeah and I think even just uh again for me like the beginning of all this was like first week we're like oh we can't meet in person anymore there is this kind of scrambling to get control I'm like all right well what do we do to make sure like nobody feels this? But like the reality is, no, you're going to feel it. We feel this. Like there's a, a thing called Zoom fatigue <laughs> that we're probably all feeling right now. And there's, it, it's completely out of our control. And so my next question is, how can these words that we read from Psalm 145 set us at ease? That instead of when things start to feel out of control, we immediately go to the thing that we can manage. Like we start cleaning or we start building something or roasting coffee or we make a list or we make a plan. Like how can we go to these words and they set us at ease? So anyone wants to share a thought on that? I'll give you a minute before we move on. Um, I would add, it's sort of the perspective piece. Like when it talks about like one generation will tell your great works to the next is the reason we all stress is because we kind of look at one thing. Is right now, and we think, okay, this thing I've got to get figured out, whether it's a job, whether it's a relationship, whether it's your kids, and you think, oh, no, i got to fix this. But on God's scale, we're looking generations and generations, and I think that's a different perspective piece that helps you to realize God's work is a whole lot bigger than why my kids won't tell the truth. I don't know. I don't know that one either. But they like seeing things a little more broadly. Yeah, that's a great perspective to remind ourselves like this is so much bigger than just us right here and right now than our current circumstance. Thanks for that, Steve. So if we have this truth that God is great, which means then we don't have to be in control, uh, what do we get to do then? We can rest. Like that's our active thing that we do. That's, our, that's like our action step is to rest and the safety of the Almighty. He's in full control. Uh, Let's read now verse 5. I will speak of your splendor and glorious majesty, 
and your wondrous works. And if we skip to 11 through 12, he also writes, they, talking of, of others now, they will speak of the glory of your kingdom and will declare your might, informing all people of your mighty acts and of the glorious splendor of your kingdom. So we have this truth that God is glorious. Like when you look out and you see a sunset and Arizona has some of the best sunsets, you could sometimes describe that word. We don't use it often in our vernacular today, but you could say, man, that's a glorious sunset, right? Uh, But this word glory actually is tied to, and many of you have probably heard this, that it's, it's actually means weightiness. There's a weight to it. But when someone like holds weight in your life, it means they're important to you. And I think that's the deeper meaning. What's, we're not just talking about weight on a scale here. We're talking about this has more value and more importance. Uh, and so if someone carries a lot of weight in, in your life, like that saying is meaning they have a lot of importance. You think about what they say and it has importance to you. It has an effect on you. And the reality is that God should be of the first and utmost importance in our lives and that he should be the weightiest person that we, we consider whenever we do or say or think anything. Uh, there's Romans talks about getting this crown of glory and what they were referring that to was in, in the games and, and like the, what we would think of like Olympic type games now they would crown the victor with this garland wreath. And that was called a crown of glory. And what that meant when that person would walk around with that particular crown, it was like a big deal. And everyone paid them attention, homage, like that person mattered. They were important. And so Paul wrote in Romans that we can attain a crown of glory if we're following Jesus because of what Jesus has done, that Jesus who wore the crown of thorns now wears the crown of glory above all. He is the most glorious. God, David wrote in Psalm 145, is the most glorious and majestic, full of splendor in all the world. And so what does that mean for us? It means we don't have to fear others. How often are we going through life and we're thinking about what other people say or think like, I can't tell you how many times I've left a conversation. And I'm like, what did that person think about that? What did, what did they think when I said this? You know, and the reality is that I'm putting a lot of weight into their thoughts and their view of me. But if God is most glorious, I don't have to fear others. I'm only looking at what does God think of me? How does he see me? And so a couple of questions for us. What other things in life might bring you either fear or anxiety? Let's start there. So those who feel comfortable share. What brings you fear or anxiety or what could bring us in general fear or anxiety in this world? The fear of the unknown. Yeah. It kind of goes back to that control thing again a little bit. Like if you, the fear of the unknown is like, can't do anything about this. Do you have anything you wanted to elaborate on that? Um, Just like, uh, you know, Mel stays home and I work. And so I'm the, I'm the provider. Uh, and I, you know, like they announced a bunch of like potential layoffs and I don't know if that's going to include me or not, you know, and I can do the best that work that I 
can. I mean, it's really actually, it's no, no different. I, I do the same thing anyway, but, um, you know, it can just, it can, I feel like I, I do better now than I ever have before, but there's always, there's still that, you know, just kind of possibility that kind of small little voice that says, you know, Hey, I hope you're prepared for, <laughs> for what's coming. Cause, uh, it, it's just, uh, it just causes anxiety to, uh, to not know what's going to happen. You know, I guess it would still be kind of make me anxious even if I did know, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that, man. And we know too, to be praying for that for you as well. You see how these things are, are connected too, right? Like the fact that God is great and in control of that situation. Uh, but when we don't look at that or we aren't seeing uh, him as the most glorious, like maybe our job is the most important thing right now. Uh, and I'm, that's not an <laughs> indictment on you, Aaron. I'm just giving examples. Like that causes anxiety too then. And so uh, these things are so connected. And I think that's why it was so hard to break these up because David weaves them all in together. Like we have to see all four of these truths about God simultaneously. Does anybody struggle with being a people pleaser? Yes. And I have an example of why I feel like it's a problem because, um, you know, just the other day I had a like super early meeting and I was like, ah, I don't want to do that meeting, but I'll do it. You know, like got to, got to try to do the right thing here. And then, then I had a, you know, somebody sent a meeting invitation for late at night. Like, and I was like, Oh man, I really don't want to do that. Um, but I'm thinking like, ah, it's the, you know, it's the right thing to do. I want to be a people pleaser in this sense. And like, even though on the outside I was like, Oh yeah, you know, look at, we're doing a great job and we're being helpful. I was just thinking to myself, you guys are jerks. Like I'm, I'm not happy that I'm here right now. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's my people pleasing story. Big one for me too. Aaron, thanks for uh, keeping the dialogue going through the God is glorious section. I appreciate that. Some of you guys can help him out on the next one maybe. But how might your life change if God were given more glory than whatever thing you just named in your head that brings you anxiety or fear? Like, could it possibly be that our our thought life is spent more on this thing and that's why it's causing us anxiety or fear or on this person and what they think of us rather than spending time reflecting on the Lord and spending time listening to him and reading his word and praying and singing and asking, what does he think of you? Right? So how might your life change in that sense? And so what that does for us, if God is glorious. So we don't have to fear others. Then what we can do is we can find our significance in being a child of the king. And that should hopefully bring us some rest and reassurance, some good news. Let's continue in Psalm 145, verse seven, David wrote, they will give a testimony of your great goodness and will joyfully sing of your righteousness. In verse nine, he said, the Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. And then verses 14 through 16, The Lord helps all who fall. He raises up all who are oppressed. 
All eyes look to you and you give them their food at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. When we say that God is good, we don't just mean that in relation of good versus evil, although that's true. God is good in that sense too, but good in the sense that he satisfies. Oh man, this is so good to sit here right now. God satisfies and you see that and all eyes look to you and you, God, give them their food, what they need, what they need to live at the proper time. You open your hand and satisfy the desire of every living thing. God is good. So we don't have to look anywhere else for satisfaction, for our needs to be met, for fulfillment, for contentment, for pleasure. What are some things in our lives that we tend to look to for satisfaction or joy or pleasure or fulfillment? So uh, I think for me, one of the things that comes to mind is just comfort. And so I look for that in, you know, having a nice house or having technology that works well or all of these little things that try to make like easy everywhere, I guess is a phrase I've heard it described. And so I think that I will start to look for that as a solution to discomfort rather than reminding myself that maybe this is something that God's putting in my life to draw me closer to him or point me to him. And uh, so I think those are one of those things where I start to look for satisfaction elsewhere. Yeah. Um, I tend to look for satisfaction in either uh, purpose or pleasure in the sense of my vocation or how well I serve and love Mary Kate, which is a good thing, but um, that too can become an idol. And then in terms of pleasure, I can uh, seek satisfaction in simple things like hobbies. Uh, Mary Kate and I go kayaking sometimes, or I enjoy video games, watching TV. Um, and those things can all be temporarily filling and give us the sense that they are as good or better than God in terms of providing satisfaction, but uh, they will ultimately fail. I can totally relate to that one. I'm a, if any of you are familiar with the Enneagram, I'm a number nine. Uh, and my default is to escape when things are uncomfortable and self-medicate and find things to make me comfortable. And so that's like binge watching on Netflix and thinking about anything or whatever the case may be. So I could do that one. Here's the thing is all these things that we can sometimes, most of them at least in and of themselves aren't bad. They're good things God provides. And that was what we read in the Psalm is God provides the food that people need at the proper time. But it's when we make that good gift, the most important thing. And we turn to that for our satisfaction instead of turning to the giver of those things where we start to live in bondage. But the freedom is we don't have to look elsewhere. We can be fully satisfied in God's goodness because he is the one who gives those good gifts to us. Uh, Finally, in verses eight through nine, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and great and faithful love. The Lord is good to everyone. His compassion rests on all he has made. In, verses, in verse 13, 
Your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. Your rule is for all generations. The Lord is faithful in all his words and gracious in all his actions. This one, I think, is what ties all of it together. Because if you have a great, powerful God who is also good, but he satisfies those who follow him and are righteous, and he's a glorious God, like he's the most important, but you have not followed him and you have fallen out of his goodness, or as Romans says, all have fallen short of the goodness of God, then man, watch out, right? But thank God that this great powerful being who is the most glorious is also gracious to us when we were not good, when we rebelled against him, that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. God is gracious to us, so we don't have to prove ourselves. And my battery is dying on my computer, and so I'm going to wrap this part up, and then we'll, we'll get into communion. But because God is gracious to us, that is what brings us into the presence of a great, powerful, fearful, amazing, glorious, splendid God. We rebelled against him, and we got ourselves out of his goodness. And yet, his grace invites us in. And what happens typically in life is we're trying to find ourselves in the graces of other people. So usually we're trying to prove ourselves to somebody. We're trying to prove ourselves to other people. Some of us are trying to prove ourselves to ourselves. Like I can't tell you how many of those competition reality TV shows I've watched where they say, if I win this competition, then I'll prove like I am a real chef or whatever the thing is they're competing for. And they're trying so hard to prove themselves as something. Some of us are even trying to prove ourselves to God. Like we're trying to prove, hey, I belong here. I, I've earned your grace in a sense. And here's the truth. We don't have to prove anything because Jesus came and did it all for us while we were still enemies. Jesus has done the work. His grace brings us in. And now when the father looks at us, he says what he says of his perfect son, because you are, as Ephesians says, you are wrapped and you are clothed in Christ. You're covered in him. And so he looks at us and says, this is my child who I love and I am well pleased with. You no longer have to prove yourself to anybody, to yourself, to the people around you, or even to God, because he's done that work for you. And so if we don't have to prove ourselves we can experience real, unfailing love from the one who is love himself. And I'll just be honest, this is uh, the one that I struggle the most with. I want you to ask yourselves that too. Like, which of these four Gs do I struggle with the most? It could be all of them, because like I said, they're very connected. For me, I feel like I'm constantly trying to prove myself. Uh, And I have to always be reminded, Jesus did that work on my behalf already that in Christ, I am fully loved and accepted by the Father. Amen.